This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning. Isn't that fun? You know, when I, when I see that baptism slide flash up there, I just want to pass on something to you. Did you know that we as a church are sneaking up on our 1,000th baptism? That is an awesome thing. Keep your eyes peeled because we have a baptism service coming up. And if you've never been baptized, if you've never had that opportunity, especially as an adult, if you've never had that, it is an awesome thing that it's a, it's a shared experience between you and Jesus. And, and it's irreplaceable in this life. I want to say a special good morning to those of you who are here for the first time. My name is Ron. I'm the founding pastor of the church. And about every three weeks or so, they let me take the stage and teach, which I love to do. So are you ready to learn? Yeah, 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 we're going to learn some stuff today. We're going to learn some challenging things. I want to tell you that what we're going to talk about today is not something that's hard to understand, but it's something that's very profound when it comes to living it out. And so uh, you're going to have to listen as much today with your heart as with your head. Um, Kevin has been doing a masterful job. Are we blessed to have Kevin as our pastor? Yes, we are. Kevin has been doing a masterful job of teaching us out of God's Word. And today I'm going to take us to a passage that's straight from the lips of Jesus. And uh, we're going to allow Jesus to challenge us in the best ways. So let's Before I do that, I have one thing to say. Kevin talked about uh, Global Leadership Summit. Everything we have in place and it's ready to go except for one thing. We need about a half a dozen people who would be willing to serve for a shift or two in the kitchen. So if you're willing to do that, would you please come up and talk to me afterwards? Got it? Okay, half a dozen people. All right, now let's jump into this. Everybody always. This is a book written by Bob Goff which actually really stirred, Bob Goff's a great Christian, really stirred Kevin's heart. And God began to speak to Kevin, hey, the the Christian principles that are in this book are things that we actually need to challenge our people with. In the same way that Jesus challenged Bob in his life, we actually need to be challenged. And so here's our goal. Our goal is to draw everyone into our circle of love. And while that looks really good up here, that's really hard to do. Have you noticed that? Yeah, to get everybody inside your circle of love, it means even the people in your family that irritate you at Thanksgiving, somehow you're going to get them in your circle of love. It means that the idiot who cuts you off on the highway and in the streets, you're going to learn how to love that person, the person at work that irritates you. It's difficult to get everyone in your world inside that circle of love. That's a huge, huge challenge. But the second half of it is even harder, and that is when we put the word always. You know what this means? I'm going I'm to love 100% of the people 100% of the time. That's huge. Now, what's really interesting is that we claim, if you're, if you're a Christian, we claim to be Jesus followers. And the amazing thing about Jesus is we have every indication from studying his life that that is exactly how Jesus lived. 
He loved 100% of the people 100% of the time. And then you know what he said to his followers? I have only one commandment to give you. Here it is. Love one another like I have loved you. Love the people in your world, 100% of them, 100% of the time. That's our big challenge. Now, the Apostle Paul, who had walked with Jesus for many years and was deeply, deeply influenced by him, gave us this insight. He said, these, th- these things will last forever. These are the big deals in life. They're the only things that actually last forever. Faith, hope, and love. Wow. And then he said, the greatest of these is love. Let's unpack that for just a minute. These, I think, are probably the reasons that you came to church. Churches are places where we learn how to grow our faith. You know why? Because we don't live well when we don't believe in something beyond ourselves. We don't. And when we find a cause that's beyond ourselves and it's worthy of ourselves, and especially if that cause is a cause close to the heart of God... It just ups everything about how we live. We don't live well when we don't have hope. And we need hope beyond ourselves. And in fact, when we don't have hope, we usually not only don't live well, we usually don't live long. And love. You know, the interesting thing about love is most of us have a tendency to believe, it's sort of our default setting, that, that people who live without privilege struggle. But people who live with privilege don't struggle. But that's not actually true. Here's the real truth. People who live without love are the ones who really struggle. I don't care how much they have. No matter what their life looks like on the outside. Because The greatest of these is love. Now, what does this mean for you and me when we come to church? It means this. Most of us come to church to grow our faith, and most of us come to church to grow our hope. But Paul would tell you and me, the biggest reason to go to church is to grow your love, because the greatest of these is love. And this morning, we're going to We're going to accept that challenge and realize the greatest thing that we can grow in in this life is love. Now, why would I say that other than what Paul just said? So let's peel the onion back one more layer and take a look because God's essence is love. The apostle John said, you know, if God were an onion and you were to peel all the layers back, what would you find at the very core of God What is it that drives him? What is it that motivates him? What is it that moves God? Is it his power? Is it his justice? Is it his creative ability? All of those are unlimited. But the Apostle John said, no. If you were to get all the way to the core of God, the thing that drives him, if you were to reduce God to one word, it would be love. He said, for God is love. Secondly, love is what makes us most like Jesus. Jesus said it like this. This is the way that everyone will know that you follow me. 
It's not by how much you know about the Bible. It's not by how many great things you are capable of doing. This is the way people will know that you actually follow me. It will be by your inexhaustible, indefatigable love for those around you. It's what makes us most like Jesus. And last of all, love has this amazing quality that we're going to look at two or three different ways today. It's a divine quality. If it comes from God, we should expect it to behave differently than things that come from human beings. And the thing about love is it has this divine or miraculous nature to it. Okay? If I have $100 and I give you 20, how many do I have left? Good. Somebody went to math class. I have 80, right? I don't have 100. But here's the amazing thing. If I have $100 worth of love and I give you $20 worth of love, how much love do I have left? I'm probably going to have 120. Love is an amazing thing that the more you give it away, the more you have. It defies all other human things. The more you give it away, the more that you have, which is why the greatest thing that you can grow in your life is love. It literally will change your life. So how do we grow in love? Well, this is, again, where it sort of defies typical human experience because if, if, if you want to apply science in your life, you study science and then you let it shape how you feel about things and how you observe things, and then you do something with it that you think will make your world better. But that's not how love grows. This is how oftentimes in church we approach love. So if we're going to have a, pass, if we're going to have a teaching on love, the first thing that I would do is I would teach you that in the original language of the Bible, Koine Greek, there were four words for love. And it's important for us to understand the difference between storge, phileo, autophos, and agape, right? That sounds really sharp. The only thing is, it never changes anybody's life. All it does is change our head, okay? And then I'm going to teach you how to feel about people. And then in the end, I hope you go out and do something about it. Did you know that if we were to just flip this on its head, that that's how love grows best? It's amazing. If you will force yourself to do loving things for people, it will change how you feel about them. And as it changes how you feel about them, the more you do for them, the softer your heart will get toward them. And in the end, you'll learn a lot about love. It actually works the exact opposite way of virtually everything else in life. And so this is where we begin. Jesus taught us that part of God's assessment for us rests in our response to human need. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write three words on your note paper, okay? I want you to write the words least, last, and lost. Because Jesus is going to tell us a story about the least, the last, and the lost. And the interesting thing about this, these three categories of people is the least and the last are the easiest to love. It's the lost that we really, really struggle with. Because there's two different categories of lost. You know what lost people do? Have you ever been lost? Of course you have. Lost people tend to do desperate things. Have you noticed that? And they tend to do sometimes things that are silly. Yes. And they tend to do things 
that oftentimes end up to be hurtful. Have you ever tried to love someone who was desperate, did stupid things, and hurt people? You know, yeah, I'm married to them. (laughs) No, that's not a good time to say that. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) But we all have people in our world that are like that. And they're very difficult to love. We'd rather love the least or the last. But the lost are really hard to love. But did you know that there's a, a type of lost person that's even harder to love than those who are desperate, do stupid things, and hurt people? I think the hardest kind of people to love are the people who, who are lost, but they don't admit it. And they don't want your help. In fact, they will judge you. And they will condemn you for trying to help them. What's our goal? 100% of the people, 100% of the time. And that includes the least, the last, and all the lost. So now here's the story that Jesus told that points us right to those three groups of people. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the people will be gathered into his presence. Now, if you grew up in a hellfire and brimstone church, that passage alone is enough to make you shake in your boots, right? And in fact, that's often the picture that we are given. It is a true picture, but I think you'll be amazed at what Jesus is actually looking for. In our minds, if we grew up in that kind of a church, we think Jesus is looking over our life with a magnifying glass, trying to find errors and flaws. That's not at all the story that Jesus tells. And he will separate them as a, sheep, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Wow. That doesn't sound like a magnifying glass looking for faults. You know what I know about these people? Were they perfect? No, they were people. Huh. But they're still blessed. And they have this great kingdom waiting for them. And then Jesus begins to unfold what it is about them that actually touched him. He says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Hmm. Three things about the response that those people had. Number one, their response was simple. This is so like God. Because God never puts the ability bar very high. The response was simple. What was it? I was hungry and you what? Fed me. I was thirsty and what? You gave me something to drink. I was sick and you did what? You cared for me. I was short on clothes. I was naked and what did you do? You gave me something to wear. I was in prison and what did you do? You came and sat with me. 
You know, the response is simple. And therefore, it's open to anybody. Jesus always made sure that whatever he asked us to do, everybody could do. It's simple, but it's profound. It's open to all of us. The second thing is this. The response was non-selective. Most of us don't mind giving away clothes or food or drink as long as we like that person or at least as long as they like us or they haven't been bad to us. Yeah. But in this case, it was non-selective. They could be hungry, they could be sick, they could be thirsty, they could be in prison, they could be naked. It didn't make any difference. It was non-selective. And the reason that Jesus wants us to be non-selective is because when you and I get selective with our love, we are no longer genuine. No longer. That's not the kind of love that Jesus passed out. Jesus was non-selective in his love. He sat and ate with the wealthy and the elite, And just as often, he sat and ate with the prostitutes. And you know what? He had the same kind of conversation with both. And everybody in between. If you paid attention to the lyrics of the song that the worship team sang while we took communion, you could not write a better song for this teaching. Yeah. 100% of the people, 100% of the time, non-selective. And you know what's great about this? The third thing about this response is, it was noticed. Did Did you notice that this is the thing that captures heaven's attention? Huh. And it was rewarded. Jesus says, hey, come, I got a big deal for you. I have a kingdom prepared for you from before you were born. That'd be a whole sermon in and of itself. Did you know that God has prepared a place for you before he ever created you? He created an eternal place for you. Yeah. That's the Father's love for us. So there's the teaching. Now, for the next few minutes, we're going to look at this in real action in two stories. And the first story is an ordinary woman who goes to church in a town um, in a town in Judea. And so we'll pick up the story. Here it is. There was a believer in Joppa. That was a little seaside town in Judea named Tabitha. And she was always, there's one of our words, right? Everybody what? Always. She was always doing kind things for others help, and helping the poor. Not just the poor, for everybody, others and the poor. And about this time, she became ill and died. And that's the end of the story. No, that's not the end of the story. All right. Her body was washed for burial and laid in the upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda's, so they sent two men to beg him, hey, please come as soon as possible. I don't know about you. I grew up in the Midwest, and we used to have a phrase that says, It doesn't do any good to shut the door if the horse is already out of the barn, right? Most of us would look at this and go, hey, dude, the horse is out of the barn. She's gone. Peter might have been able to heal her, but uh, dead people, probably not. 
So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room, and the room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Tabitha had made for them. Now, throughout this entire story, there's no mention of Mr. Tabitha. So we would surmise that she was probably either never married or a widow. But Peter asked them all to leave the room, and then he knelt and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. I don't know if she didn't know Peter, maybe she knew Peter, but um, I know this, I I have no idea. I would love to, wouldn't you love to be a little fly on the wall in that room? Yeah, And, and see her come back. Well, when she saw Peter, she sat up, he gave her his hand and helped her up. And then he called in the widows and all the believers and he presented them alive. And I'm pretty sure they had a worship service right there. What do you think? Yeah, life-changing day in that church. By the way, if you want to grow your church, that's probably a great way to do it, all right? Yeah, you bet. Interesting stuff. I want to point out three things about Tabitha's response. Number one, her response was simple. Huh. What did she do? Tabitha could sew, so she made clothes. Yeah, she did what she could. Number two, her response was non-selective. I love this about Tabitha. Tabitha didn't go to church like everybody else. Everybody else was probably like everybody else in church in 20th century America. We go to church and we look for people we know. We hang out with people we know. We slap them on the back and they slap us on the back. And if something's going on in their life, we really care and we have a great time. We yuck it up together. We come in, sing some songs, learn some things, hopefully go home a little bit changed. But the rest of the people who sit in the audience are sort of in our blind spot. We don't actually really notice them. We don't ever really look them in the eye. Huh. Tabitha wasn't like that. When she came to church, she was always looking at people, really looking at people. For that matter, when Tabitha went to the store, she did the same thing. Hmm. And her love and her response was non-selective. If she saw somebody who had a need or maybe even just a desire and she could do something about it, she did. That's just how she lived. And her response, was it rewarded? Yep. I don't know what it's like to have your life back after losing it, but she does. It was rewarded in the biggest way. Now I want to take you to the story of Jesus who's the master at expressing love to people. And I want you to see these same things at work in Jesus' life. And before we get into the story, you have to know a little geography about the, the country of Israel. And it had three sections. The, the southernmost section was Judea. I mentioned it earlier. Joppa was a town in Judea. But Judea was where the religious elite of the Jewish world lived. Okay? Then all the way in the north was a territory, we would call them counties, they, they would even be small counties in California, but up in the north was Galilee, and that's where the religious 
middle and lower class lived. And of course, those in Judea looked down on those up in Galilee because people with any religious class would move to Judea where all the really important people were. In the middle was the, was the county of Samaria, and that's where the religious outcasts lived that no one wanted anything to do with. Now, Jesus has been down here in Judea, and his ministry has become so popular that Jesus decides, I've got to get out of town because I'm being mobbed by people. I've got to go up here to Galilee because I care about the Galileans as well, and I want to teach and preach in their cities. And so, in order to go from Judea to Galilee, he went through Samaria. And they get partway through Samaria, and it's midday, and it's hot, and everybody's hungry and tired, and Jesus is traveling with his 12 closest followers, the people that we eventually call the 12 apostles. And it's noon, and there's a well there in this town of Samaria, which was the capital city of the county of Samaria. And so Jesus sits down by the well, probably because there was a canopy over the well, and he could sit in the shade, and the disciples are hungry, so they say, we're headed to McDonald's, okay? We're going to go eat some food, right? They leave. Jesus is looking for a little reprieve, and this is where we pick up the story. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And so she said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? I don't have time to get into all the nuances of that story, but I want you to notice these three things. First of all, Jesus' response was simple. What did, Jesus, what did Jesus give this woman? Just a conversation. He saw her. He just engaged her in a conversation. If we got into the nuances of this story, you would know why that was a huge deal for her. Secondly, his response was non-selective. Huh. She noticed it. You're a Jew. You don't speak to us. And yet Jesus dared to look her in the eye and dared to offer her a conversation. And you know what? Could Jesus have given her a drink of water? Easily. Easily. Why do you think he asked for a drink? Because when you ask for something from someone, you voluntarily put yourself underneath them. Hmm. She was a Samaritan. She was a woman. And in that day and age, that was two, yeah, two no-nos. And you know what? Do you think Jesus knew about her lifestyle? Yeah, if we were to read the rest of the story, this is a woman who had been married five times and was now living with a guy she wasn't married to. And yet, it didn't make any difference to Jesus. His response was simple and genuine. His response was non-selective. And his response was rewarded. So the 12 apostles come back, and they look at Jesus, and he's engaged in a conversation with a Samaritan woman. 
They are pretty sure that he would like to be rescued from that. So they come up and they barge in on the conversation and they say, hey, we brought you some food. And Jesus looks at them and he says this, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And they say, somebody slip him a Big Mac. What's up? What kind of food do you have that we don't know anything? Are you kidding? We walked into town for no reason. And Jesus looked at them and said, no, no. You know where I get my strength? I get my strength. My food comes from doing the things that God does. Like loving people who are not loved. It's an amazing story. But this is where the story takes an interesting twist. Here's the next thing that Jesus says. I say, wake up and look around. Because the fields are already ripe for harvest. Here are the 12 closest followers of Jesus standing in the middle of the field of humanity and they can't find anybody to love. Are you kidding me? I think that's why Jesus says, wake up. He looked at, the, at his 12 closest followers and said, do you realize you're sleepwalking through life? You're going through all the motions. You're getting up. You're going to work when you get hungry. You go find food. You eat food and then you feel good and you sleep off your food coma and then you work some more so you can get hungry, so you can eat food, so you can sleep off your food coma. Do you ever get tired of all of that? Wake up. Look around. Because you're standing in the middle of the harvest. Here's a principle that touches my heart every day. If you want to touch a father's heart, well then, you be there for his kids when they're in need. I have three children. And if my children are really in need, and you come across them at their moment of need, and you stop your world to sit with my child, I will love you forever. That's what dads do. That's what moms do. You know something? The world, those are God's kids. Not just the ones who act good and go to church. The world. Those are God's kids. If you want to touch the Father's heart, you be there for his kids when they're in need. And he will love you forever. Going all the way back to the original story that Jesus told about the sheep and the goats and and people being hungry and all of those. This is how Jesus wraps up that story. When you did it to the least of one of my brothers or sisters, you what? You were doing it for me. Now here's the title of this message. I didn't pick it out. Kevin gave me this title. Don't you like it? What does Waldo have to do with this? You know in your mind, if you could just cross out Waldo, and you could put in Jesus. So where's Jesus? Jesus. 
in the sea of humanity. Where's Jesus? Well, a few years ago, someone asked Mother Teresa, what is it that drives you to do all the things that you do for the huddled masses of India? And I want to read you her quote. She said, I see Jesus in every human being. I say to myself, this is hungry Jesus. I must feed him. This is sick Jesus. This one has leprosy or gangrene. I must wash him and tend to him. I serve because I love Jesus. Hmm. How can we become responders to the people that are in need in our world? And and that leads us to the very end of what I want to say to you. And it's our experiment for this week. And if you miss everything else I said this morning, I want you to listen to these three things. The first is prayer. Do you remember what Jesus said to the 12 as they stood there in total confusion about how he could talk to that Samaritan woman? And he said, wake up and look up to the fields. One of the best things that you and I can do is say, God, would you give me the eyes of Jesus so I can see people the way he sees them? So I can respond to people the way that Jesus would respond if he were right here right now. That was the prayer of the song that the worship team sang for us. The second thing is proximity. I brought along some books. The first is Winnie the Pooh, all right? Okay? I took my wife to see Christopher Robin yesterday. Great movie, by the way. But it reminded me, this is the world in which you and I like to live. We have Pooh, we have Tigger, we have Piglet, we have Owl, right? We, we, have, the, we have Rabbit, and oh yes, we have Eeyore. That's right, yes, I suppose. And we think that our biggest challenge in life is to love Eeyore. So when we come to church, we look for Tigger and Piglet and Owl and Rabbit and Roo and, yes, even Eeyore because we're comfortable in this world. Hmm. Jesus would say, life works better like this. Where's Waldo today? Who needs help today? Doesn't make any difference if I don't know them. In this great sea of humanity, I'm on the lookout for whoever is in need. As long as we live here, we will never find Waldo. Is he in this book? He's here. And last of all, 
practice. Ever been in an elevator, closed your eyes, and tried to read the braille signs next to the buttons? Really? (laughs) Just me? Okay, all right. Well, pretend for a minute that you're as silly as I am, right? And you've entered an elevator and you wonder, I wonder if I can read Braille. And you put your hand up there and, 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 and you say, okay, I'm going to figure out how many of those little bumps there are and, and, and what configuration. You will never, ever be able to do that on your first shot. And yet, my blind friends, you can hand them a book written in Braille and you can watch their, their fingers lightly go across the page and they can read it at a speed that will astound you. What's the difference? Practice. Because this is about sensitivity. And sensitivity is a practice skill. And you'll be amazed. When you begin to pray about being sensitive and you put yourself out where, where those people are, it will amaze you at how quickly you will develop the sensitivity that will enable you to love 100% of the people 100% of the time. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the amazing teaching that you gave us through Jesus. Jesus, we can't thank you enough that you came and you didn't just send a Starbucks card when we were thirsty but you came with a glass of water and you sat with us while we drank it. Our prayer is that we would be more and more and more like you. Would you touch our hearts? That's our prayer. We pray it in your name. Everyone said, amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Have a great, great week. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.